people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking with the programmers of Japan Cuts, well, two of them at least, Peter Tatara and Alexander Fee. As usual, they have put together a fantastic program of recent Japanese films that are playing in New York. The festival runs from July 26th through August 6th, 2023. For more information, go to japansociety.org. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. We're here to talk about the latest Japan Cuts Festival. You're both programmers. How do you even divvy up the work? What's the kind of day-to-day as far as how you programmed this festival? It's an annual festival. Happens once a year and in July. Our planning for the event really has been almost a, a full year. After the previous year's festival ends, it's a debrief on what worked, what didn't along with starting the early conversations with distributors as to what are the big, new, different, or interesting sorts of films. For us, Japan Cuts is a very clear mission statement or mandate. We are a festival of new Japanese cinema. So really, we are presenting at any festival a snapshot of the past 12 months or so of Japanese film. And a good portion of our year is watching a considerable amount of Japanese film. The team that, that watches the films, there are probably five of us overall that, that are dividing and conquering everything we're looking at. It's a very time-intensive process accompanied by many, let's say, heated conversations around what we're including. We looked at well over a hundred different films this past year to come to the 29 that we're actually presenting. Our mandate's pretty clear. We're past 12 months of Japanese cinema. The challenge is it's not necessarily our favorites of the past 12 months. It's not necessarily the most prestigious or the most award-winning of the past 12 months. I think it is a survey of the past 12 months. We try to present a very broad survey across different genres, as well as from big budget 
through to indie, short, experimental, a whole section focused on new independent directors. It's a lot of, again, heated conversations to try to get it into what will those two weeks be. Japan Cuts is something we do every year, and it's a wonderful way to reflect and look back at how Japanese cinema has evolved in some sense, or we always like to support filmmakers. It's really nice, especially to see some of the more early independent filmmakers, like for Next Generation, maybe come back with a sophomore feature, or maybe they're now in our feature slate. In addition, yeah, the preparation, uh, it takes, yeah, about a year. We go to film festivals like Busan or Tokyo International Film Festival. And then we have these relationships with not just prominent distributors like Toei or Kadokawa, but also a very small independent distributors and producers. So it's always an uh, exciting time to put something like this together. And it's great to sit back now and look at the the whole lineup especially given as peter mentioned there's so much effort behind it and there are so many passionate discussions of what we want programmers don't always agree with what should be included so it's always a collaborative effort to put something like this together and it's great to see and have this out in the wild now can you tell me some of the films that you're most excited for people to see of the 29 movies that you're showing some of the key films that we're doing our opening night is the first slam dunk. We're very proud to be the East Coast premiere of what is the number one biggest box office hit of the past year in Japan. Slam dunk, absolutely legendary, essential viewing for anyone that was in Japan in the 90s. And this is a phenomenal film and excited to open the festival with that. Our centerpiece is Under the Turquoise Sky. It is a glorious co-production between Japanese, Mongolian, French, Chilean, and I think Australian crew members, and follows Japanese star Yuya Yagira across the Mongolian countryside. It is the first feature from director Kentaro, but it does not look it. So it's a beautiful film, and we're awarding the star Yagira with our kind of award. We have a very special screening of Tokyo Melody from director Elizabeth Leonard. This year was unfortunately marred by Sakamoto's passing. And this is a very rare film and documentary she made featuring Sakamoto chronicling his work in the 80s and thrilled for us to present a 16 millimeter print from Elizabeth Leonard's personal collection combined with her speaking at the film and Ikiko Yano Sakamoto's former partner also delivering our remarks. So those are, I think, three of the most prestigious high watermarks of the festival. But beyond that, we've got some very weird personal tastes uh, of things we're excited about. One of my favorites is Fishtail, which chronicles, let's just say, the Bill Nye of Japan. If Bill Nye just loved fish, it is a heartwarming, forky biopic that shot in the past year or so, but feels like it was plucked out of the 80s with its heart and direction. We are doing The Legend and Butterfly, which is Toei's 70th anniversary feature. Director Otolo is coming out. It is a sweeping three-hour epic that follows the, the rise of 
warlord and unifier Odin Obanaga and his whirlwind romance with Nokine, the love of his life. So it's the kind of thing that has to be seen on the big screen to be appreciated. That's some of my favorites. Alexander, do you want to talk about some of the stuff you're most passionate about, especially like on Next Generation? Peter touched upon a lot of the great ones. I'll also overlap with Tokyo Melody. I think that was, for me, one of the most special things that to put together. And the story behind it, too, includes the print we're showing Elizabeth had in her basement for probably a decade or two. And so some of the just discovering that she had that film and she wasn't even sure that she had it on a 16 mil print until we started communicating that's very special to show and it's one of those films that I had i had always wanted to show here at japan society actually before as maybe like a monthly classic so it's finally nice to put the screening together it's obviously tragic circumstances but i think it, it's something that will be very special for fans of sakamoto and of the film itself. On one of the feature slates, we're showing Hand, which is the Nikatsu celebrating 50 years of the Roman porno, which is the Pinku film, the softcore genre that they basically was integral to Nikatsu from the 70s and the onwards and helped them stay afloat after the collapse of a lot of basically the studio system. It's a celebration of 50 years of the genre. I really enjoy this one in particular, and I think it modernizes the genre a bit, which is still incredibly influential and has cultivated a lot of filmmakers that went on to make a lot of main, like huge art house pictures and big studio productions. A lot of them came from the Roman porno genre. So it's very neat to see them doing the same thing again. Another, yeah, I would say the next generation slate is always something that's very important to us very much our way of, of exposing audiences and giving a platform to filmmakers who are just beginning their first, second features and doing a lot of independent productions. So there, I think Amiko is one I really enjoyed. That one is really focuses on a young elementary school child. And it's really the actress behind it has a pretty tour de force kind of performance. She's like captivating. So I'm sure we'll see her in more films. When Morning Comes, I Feel Empty stars Erika Karata. You might know from Asuka 1 and 2, the Hamaguchi film. So this is one of her, I don't think a lot of people have seen her since then. So it's exciting to see her in what I would consider really warm and heartfelt film about a konbini worker. Um, so those are some, I don't know, there's so many movies to talk about. We could go on and on, but a few of my favorites are there. And I got lost in, in the narrative I am what I am. Did you mention that yet? No, I haven't. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a actually a whole spread of, if you like Hamaguchi, we have a lot of Hamaguchi actors. So I am what I am is the first film that Tokomiura, who is the driver in Drive My Car, it's her first lead role since Drive My Car. And she plays like a young asexual woman who's trying to deal with kind of being independent and living her life in a Japanese society where marriage is an expectation where there's very strict and rigid gender roles that's also one of my favorites if you like who else from Hamaguchi? i think plastic has anogawa who is in the amaguchi short then we have best wishes to all which is a horror film with kotone furukawa who was in 
Wheel of Fortune fantasy. So there's, if you like art house and contemporary Japanese independent cinema, there's a lot to explore with these actors too. And I will say, I think you look at Japan cuts, like just in general, across the arc of what we do. I think the festival's most known for the dramas that we present from Japan, which is certainly a meaty section of the festival, but you know, it is not just drama. And I think Alexander just mentioned Best Wishes to All, which is a thoroughly disturbing J-horror that is had me legitimately shouting out loud the first time I watched it. We've got amazing comedies, including Mondays, which is a Japanese combination of Office Space and Groundhog's Day through to From the End of the World, beautiful, cerebral, mind-blowing sci-fi convenience story, which is hard to describe, the David Lynchian kind of comedy, kind of Alice in Wonderland meets Twin Peaks. So like a bunch of more out there stuff as well. And there's really something for everyone, depending on like how deep you want to get into that pool. Yeah, I love that you guys have so many genre films this year. That's fantastic. It's always been there. If you look back at Japan cuts from the past, we did like the North American premiere of the live action Space Battleship Yamato. We've done, we did the North American premiere of the live action Bleach. Like we've done other, we've done all sorts of fun, goofy, silly genre stuff as well. It's just not the bread and butter of the festival, but we're we're thrilled to make sure it's part of what we do. And again, like it is representative of the past 12 months of, of cinema in Japan. And that's certainly part of what that is. So there's plenty of tearjerkers, but also some things that will have you screaming at the screen or belly aching as well. Are there any particular trends that people are getting involved with? Over here, I know so many people complain about superhero movies and oh it's all being taken over by superhero movies but i don't necessarily see that from japan i'm curious where they are playing in the most when it comes to films these days i guess the equivalent of the superhero movie i would say is the anime film in japan you look at the anime industry that is the juggernaut of the box office and don't have the past year's numbers in front of me but i'm gonna say the big majority of what's in their top 10 are big anime titles or big titles based on anime. So I think that does drive a lot of the box office. What I think where it is very interesting is beyond that. And I think Japan does have a far more active and interesting indie scene than you see with a lot of newest cinema right now. Mark Schilling, great critic reporter for the Japan Times and Variety actually wrote a forward for us that discusses exactly this and the past 12 months of Japanese cinema. It's a very interesting read as the number of productions, especially independent, have rebounded since COVID. The biggest think, challenge that, that we're seeing in Japan is there are still a lot of art house indie theaters. That's where I think COVID has had its longest effect. And the number of indie theaters today far fewer than a year or two ago. And those little art houses or micro cinemas, that's where a lot of the end stuff showed. That's also where a lot of more rural 
communities had access to film. So I think that's a, an ongoing question and challenge. But I think that's also not too different than what we're seeing with cinemas here in the U.S. as well. So now you are back fully in person, no virtual version of this festival? Correct. Yeah, this is our first year fully in person since 2019. Over the COVID years, Japan cut did a few things from hybrid to purely online, skipped last year fully as the pandemic bridged on. But the audiences in New York, they've been very hungry to come back to see cinema on the big screen. And a lot of the titles too, it's the filmmakers, they want them on that big screen as well. As part of this is presenting the title and part of this is the community around this. We've been thrilled to have been doing multi-classic screenings, doing various seasonal film series throughout this year, building the audience back. This really is, I think, the capstone of the year. Thrilled to, to have a full house for a lot of what we're doing at Japan Cuts this year. Alexander, can you talk a little bit about the actual physical space? Like, where is the theater and how many films are being shown on a day? Like, those kind of, like, the logistic parts of this. We are at East 47th Street, so right by the UN. Our space also has a language school. I believe we're at Landmark Building, and we're one of the kind of, if you come on our premises, you'll see that the architecture is very much one of the few examples of more modern Japanese architecture in the city. And so we have a 264-seat theater, I believe. Right, Peter? I'm 260, but... 260, sorry, I'm blanking on it. A couple of seats more than we actually do have. But we are very proud of the fact that we like to screen films on celluloid when we can. So we do 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter, and DCP. Logistically, we work with the local union for projectionists, and we import a lot of the films we show from Japan. Um, so a lot of this is dealing directly Japanese distributors. So that's one of the most unique aspects of what we do is that a lot of the films we show don't have U.S. distribution. And it's not the Japanese distribution field. It's its own kind of um, ecosystem. So we are specialists within that. So we're able to work with those distributors, which is something that's not very common. You'll see in the U.S. that's not very available or accessible. These days, the movies that you're getting from Japan, are they on film or are they DCPs mostly? Almost all of them are DCPs. What's really interesting, I think, is that there is an interest in Japan to shoot films on film. Last year, there was the movie Small, Slow, But Steady, which was shot on 16 mil. So there is a strong interest in Japan to shoot things on 16 mil on 35 millimeters not quite to the extent you see here in the U.S. We are among the more independent filmmakers or artistic-oriented ones. They really do see the value in shooting it. And you really see it, obviously, like with the color, with the kind of the grain density in the movies. So they don't often strike new films on prints anymore. But I will say, I'm not sure if you were paying attention to there is a big Ozu retrospective that just happened here in New York at Film Forum. And Sochiku, who, who are the studio for Ozu, 
have been working with Harvard and they just struck new prints for Harvard of Ozu films. So I think in Japan, they're seeing that there's a lot of interest in 35 millimeter, not just within Japan, but outside of it. So there's always the hope that we'll see more 35 mil prints or 16 mil prints. I'd love to show a new 35 mil film or a new contemporary film at Japan cuts at some point in the future. So we'll see. Also a dumb question, but do you ever have any problems with getting the prints subtitled before you show them? That's always a struggle. I think with newer films, not so much, but with older films, absolutely. So like this past year, we did a retrospective on Shinji Somai and the only print of one of the films that we showed, Tokyo Heaven, didn't have any subtitles. So one of the few things that we also specialize in is that we will do soft titling. So we'll show a 35 millimeter print and at the same time project titles onto the onto the film as you're watching it. And that's manually advanced. And so a few places in the city do it. We obviously do it on a few occasions, but for us, it's really about giving accessibility to a movie. And it's always a very special opportunity to do something like that when we can. So this year's festival, Wednesday, July 26th through Sunday, August 6th, I imagine there's got to be passes so that people can just buy one thing and see everything. There are. Those are sold out, though. So there are all-access passes. Those evaporated, I think, in the first seven days. So unfortunately, no more all-access passes, but everything is a la carte. First slam dunk, already sold out. Our initial screening of Under the Turquoise Sky is sold out. We have an encore that still has available tickets. Tokyo Melody is, I think, very close to selling out. If you're interested in anything, I would definitely buy online, buy in advance. Don't wait to walk up to the box office, as I think a good number of our features will sell out this year. That's fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that. We are, too. It speaks again to the power of cinema, the power of seeing this on the big screen with other people. This is not Japanese, but before you're recording, we're talking about Oppenheimer. And how are you going to see that? And that's, I think, another thing that people want to experience together, want to experience on the big screen. We're excited to be not just a place that provides access to media, but a place that has a community around it and can't wait for that community to come back together. And best place to buy tickets is at japansociety.org? That's correct. Peter Alexander, thank you so much for your time today. This was great talking with you again. Likewise. We're thrilled to always be on the show and can't wait to talk again soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Mike.
Let's go.